Thank you for tuning in to the podcast of Western Heights Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. We exist to exalt Christ, equip the church, and engage the community. For more info, visit whbcwaco.org. We have been looking at 2 Peter under the heading Standing Firm in Our Faith, and, and we've learned about what genuine faith, what real faith has looked like. And one of the reasons we do that, because when we come across counterfeit faith or fake beliefs, we want to know what it looks like. If we know what the real thing looks like, then we can counter that which is not real, that which is not true. And we learned two things so far as we looked at 2 Peter chapter 1. We've learned, one, what is this salvation that we have? How do we get it? How do we become uh, inheritors? How do we receive the salvation that's through faith in Jesus Christ? How to receive that. And then we also learn that we have a responsibility that once we have this faith, we are to add to it. We are to continue growing in our faith. Now we come to a part in chapter 1, verse 12. Peter says, now there's something else that he wants to tell us. Something else that he wants us to understand. And he's going to talk about God's Word. He's going to tell us that we need to be using our Bible that if you're going to grow in your faith and you're going to stand firm in your faith, you got to have a sure word. you got to have something that you can count on that you can definitely go to strengthen your faith. In verse 19 of chapter 1 of, of 2 Peter 2, he says that the, the Word of God is a light shining in a dark place. Isn't that an image of the world in which we live in? We live in a dark place. We live in a place that, that needs light. And he says, God's Word is a light shining in a dark place. David said it this way in Psalm 119, uh, 105. He said, your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. David said, God, you light my way. You show me the way I should go. And now Peter says that, that God's Word is a light shining in a dark place. It's important for us as followers of Jesus to spend time in God's Word. We need to understand that. So today, that's what I'm going to talk about. I'm going to talk about your Bible. I'm going to talk about God's Word. I'm going to say, I'm going to tell you what God's Word says about God's Word. I'm going to tell you what God's Word says about your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. As we look at these words this morning under the heading, you need a sure word. You need a certain word. You need a sure word. Follow along as I read. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 12 through 21. Peter writes, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to Him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. And we have, we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture 
came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Three truths that we learn about God's Word. First, God's Word provides practical truth. God's Word provides practical truth. Verse 12, he said, So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. Peter says, even though you know the truth, even though you've embraced this truth, even though you have it in your mind, he goes, I am going to tell you about it. I'm going to remind it. I've taken it upon my responsibility to tell you. I'm going to remind you what you know, and I'm going to remind you again. Verse 13, look at what he says. I think it right to refresh your memory. As long as I live in the tent of this body, because I, oh, verse 14, uh, in this tent of this body. Peter's saying, I know that I'm only here temporarily. I know that, that I'm not going to live forever. I know that I have a limited amount of time. He says, because of that, I am under obligation. He says, no, no, not under obligation. I have a responsibility to you to communicate the truth, to remind you of the truth. The point that Peter is making is that he says, I have a temporary existence in this world. And because of that, I have a responsibility to share the truth of God's Word with you. Three times in verses 12 through 15, he, he calls upon the, the, to remember. He, he says, I remind you. He said, I'm going to refresh your memory. Then he says in verse 16, I'm going to enable you to remember these things. It's important for them to remember. I read somewhere that the three rules of teaching is this. Repetition, repetition, repetition. Uh, a, a, a mathematics teacher will always have you go back and remember the multiplication tables. They will take you back and remember the multiplication tables because you have to constantly remember them. One of my jobs as a preacher is to teach you, tell you what I taught you, and then remind you what I taught you. Teach, 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 constantly keeping it before you and reminding you of the truth of God's Word. That's one of the jobs that we have as preachers, to constantly remind you of the truth of God's Word. Peter says, I want to remind you of the truth. Look what he says in verse 14. Because I know that I will soon put it aside. What's he talking about? He says, I'm going to die. He said, I recognize that I'm going to die, so because I'm going to die, I'm going to make sure you get this truth. Look what he says in verse 15. He says, after my departure. Peter says, I recognize I'm about to leave this world. I recognize my days are limited. God has revealed this to me, so therefore, because I've got limited time, I want to make sure that you get this truth. Peter says, my existence is to make sure you get this truth with what little bit of time I have left. Let me ask you a question. Do you have that same desire? Do you have that same desire that you are, are living temporarily in this earth? Some of you may have a few years. Some of you have, may have a lot more years. Have you made it your ambition? Have you made it your responsibility that you are going to tell everybody you know and remind them of the truth of God's Word? That's what Peter says. Peter says, I'm going to do that. Do you have that same desire? Because I have a feeling that if many of us had sat underneath Peter's teaching, we might would have said, oh, Peter, would you say something to make me feel good? 
Peter, would you talk a little bit more about heaven? You know, Peter, I've done my time. I don't really want to hear about my responsibility. I just want you to tell me things, God, Peter, that make me feel good. We would have liked what Peter had to say. Peter says, I'm going to tell you your responsibility. I'm going to tell you your responsibility. And I'm going to tell you what your responsibility is. Your responsibility as followers of Jesus Christ is to make the Word of God known. To communicate it to people. He says, I'm going to remind you of what you already know. Then we come to the end of verse 15. You will always be able to remember these things. Peter says, look, when I'm gone, I want you to be able to remember these things. That's why I'm writing this down. I want you to have a record. I want you to have something that you can cling to. He wants to remind them of what they already knew. Sometimes people want something new. Sometimes people say, preacher, give us something fresh. Preacher, give us something new. Preacher, give us something we haven't heard before. We don't need something new. What we need is we need to understand something old and how to apply it to our lives. That's what we need. We need need God's Word and how it relates to our life. You need the basic truths of the gospel. Never forget, never forget that Jesus was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. That he died on the cross for your sins. He was raised the dead on the third day. And he's coming again someday to take all those with him who love him. Who love him. Don't ever forget those things. Don't ever forget them. And he gives us God's word to teach us those basic truths. How to live life. And he gives us practical daily guidance in a Christian life. I look at the world in which we live And I see homes being torn apart. Homes being devastated. Did you know that God's word can help you put your home back together? I I read about people and their lives are shambles. Their lives are wrecked. Did you know that God's word tells you how to put your life back together? Every problem you have, God's word has the answer. You just got to get in God's word. Look, life's not all that difficult. It's really not. If you would just make Jesus Lord of your life and you will follow what he says in God's word, guess what? Your life would be pretty easy. It's pretty simple, pretty straightforward. Just live your life to bring him glory and honor him. Life is pretty simple. It doesn't mean you're going to get healthy, wealthy, and wise. But life's pretty simple. You know, I was saved when I was a teenager. I have to honestly admit, I haven't always lived for Jesus. Anybody else was in with that? Mark, don't raise your hand. Yeah, you know, I haven't always lived with Jesus, but I discovered something. That if you just put Jesus first, and you try your best to live to honor Him, it will go a lot better for you. It'll go a lot better for you. Follow His teachings. Follow the teachings of God's Word and say, I'm going to live by His truth. You will discover that God's Word has practical truth for you. Second thing we see in this passage, God's Word provides historical truth. I was reading a little bit about Chris Pratt this past week. Some of you may not know who Chris Pratt is. He is the the star of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies and the new Jurassic Park movies, and he was in some sitcom like Parks and Recreation or Office. Parks and Recreation, was it? Yeah, he was in that. Anyway, he's a comedian and an actor, but he's also a follower of Jesus, and he makes no, no apology. He's a follower of Christ. Now, I don't agree with everything Chris Pratt does uh, and some of the language that he might use, But he unashamedly testifies about Jesus. A couple of weeks ago, he said he's in the middle of a Daniel fast. He said, I'm in the middle of a Daniel fast because I want to grow closer 
to the Lord. And the minute he put that out there, he was slammed by the entertainment people that said, I can't believe this is a guy who lives his life by a fairy tale. A fairy tale. He was slammed. I want you to know something. This book is not a bunch of fairy tales. Uh, this, is, this is historical truth. Now, I recognize when we start talking about the Word of God being historical truth, we get into dangerous territory. We, we start realming, uh, getting in that realm where people have questions about the historical veracity of the Scripture. Look at verse 16. He says, we, let's stop right there. Who's the we? The we is the divinely inspired authors. He's talking about Peter, the apostles, all the people that have been divinely inspired. He said, he says, verse 16, we did not follow cleverly invented stories. That phrase, cleverly invented stories, is translated fables, fairy tales, made up stories. He's saying, we, we did not do that. He says, what we gave you is something historically correct. We didn't come up with this in our mind. This is not like Aesop's fables. This is not like Harry Potter. This is not like Lord of the Rings. This is not like Chronicles of Narnia. Uh, th this is real stuff that's historically accurate. We didn't concoct it in someone's mind. Your Bible deals with historical truth. In other words, when it talks about something historical, it happened. It's true. You can rely upon it. It really did happen. You asked me the question, do you believe the Bible? Yes, I believe the Bible. Do you believe everything that's in the Bible? Yes, I believe everything in the Bible. Do you understand everything in the Bible? No, I do not understand everything in the Bible. But just because I don't understand it does not mean it's not true. It's still true. It's historical fact. Matter of fact, let me give you a verse. If you can get this one verse down, you can believe the entire Scripture. Ready? It's profound. I'm telling you, you're going to write it down. Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. If you can get that verse down, you will have no problem with the rest of Scripture all the way to the end of Revelation. Because if God is capable of creating the world out of nothing, He's more than capable of preserving a text that's historically accurate for you. You see, you don't have a problem with God's Word. You have a problem with God. Is what you have a problem with. Because once you admit Genesis 1-1, there is a God and He created everything, that means there's a moral authority. The minute you admit there's a God, it means if there's a God, that means He has moral authority over the earth that He created. We don't want to subject ourselves to His moral authority, so we have to deny there's a God. See how easy that is? But if you just believe Genesis 1-1, you can get through the rest of the Bible. You say, preacher, do you really believe there was a flood? Yeah, I believe there's a flood. And I believe that God preserved the earth with eight people. I don't know how they withstood the stink all that time in there. I don't understand that. But I guess the, the stink inside was better than the storm outside. <coughs> you ask me, do you believe that it, Jonah was swallowed by a whale? Look, if Jonah was swallowed by a guppy, I would believe it. God can do whatever God wants to do. I may not grasp it. I may not scientifically understand it. But that's the reason it's a miracle. Because it happens outside of the scientific world. It's supernatural because it's not natural. Understand it. Somebody says, well, what about all the questions that are unanswered uh, in, in the Bible? 
you know, what about uh, Cain? Where did Cain get his wife? I don't know where Cain got his wife. I don't care where Cain got his wife. If Cain's happy with his wife, I'm happy with his wife. I don't care. I don't care. It says that Cain had a wife. I believe it. That settles it. God did not see fit in the divine scheme of things to tell us where he got his wife. That's not the point of the story. I believe it. Look at verse 16. He said, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And then he breaks into this little story about the Mount Transfiguration. You know the story. This is the time that Jesus took, uh, took Peter, James, and John, and he took them up on a mountain. In verse 18, he calls it the sacred mountain. He said he took them up on a mountain, and they had a worship experience on the mountain. It was so awesome that they didn't want to come down. Wouldn't that be great? Jeremy, if we just had a worship service here someday, and we just didn't want to go home, it was so awesome, it was so wonderful. He said, that's what was happening. He said, we were eyewitnesses to this event. We saw the power of God. We saw it manifested in that moment. We saw it. He says, we were eyewitnesses of it. We saw it with our own eyes. We visibly saw the majesty and the presence of God. He said, we heard it with our ears. We were eyewitnesses. John says the same thing. 1 John 1, 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. Peter and John said, we saw the splendor of Jesus. We saw the splendor of God. He goes, not only did we see it, he said, we heard it. We heard about it as well. Look at what he says in verse 18. He said, we heard him saying, or verse 17, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Verse 18, we ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with him on the sacred mountain. He said, we saw it. We heard it. We heard his voice. We saw it with our own eyes. He said our faith is built on historical events. Things that really happened. Listen, there really was a Jesus. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. There was a cross outside of Jerusalem. And Jesus died upon that cross. He was buried, but on the third day, he was raised again to life. It's historically accurate. It's true. You can believe it. You can believe it. It's historically true. It is not a fairy tale. The Bible is is not a bunch of made-up stories. It is accurate, and it's a historical truth. But not only is it practical truth, not only is it historical truth, the most important thing is God's Word provides spiritual truth. This is the most important thing for us. Look at verse 19. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, made more sure. And you would do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Peter is saying, he just talked about the Mount Transfiguration. He goes, oh, but we've got something better for you. He said, we have something more important. He said, what is it? What is it, Peter? What is it? It's your Bible. It's God's Word. He says, we have a more sure Word. We have a more certain Word. We have something that's better. We have something that's more reliable than what we experience. Peter says, I saw everything revealed. 
He said, I saw, I saw the truth of Scripture revealed on the Mount of Transfiguration. I experienced it. I saw it. I witnessed it. I, I heard it. I saw what the Scriptures talked about and how it was manifested in Jesus. He said, but I want you to know, we have something better now. Listen, personal experiences and visions of heaven are great, but they are not substantial as defenses of God's truth. When you hear these people out here, and they're, they're out there, and they talk about some manifestation of God's presence, they see it, gold dust coming out of the sky, reject it, deny it. Why? Because it cannot be proved. It is not verifiable. It cannot be reduplicated. He says, we have something far better than that. We have God's Word. God's Word. You know that's true in your own life, don't you? How many times you said, I saw something the other day, and then you step back and say, well, maybe I didn't really see it. You know, your eyes sometimes deceive you. Or or, or you hear something. Or you think you hear something. You go back and say, well, maybe I didn't really hear that. Why? Because our senses can deceive us. You know, your feelings can deceive you. Well, I feel like I'm saved. Don't rely on your feelings. You know, I feel like I'm six foot four. Well, don't rely on your feelings. Rely upon the truth of God's word. Okay? Don't do that. Our senses can deceive us. Peter says, look, we got something better than that. We've got the written, inspired, inerrant word of God. It's what we have. Notice how the Bible came about in verses 20 through 21. This is one of the great passages in the Bible. Uh, this is one that has, has, has withstood the test of time. And uh, years ago, Southern Baptists used to battle over the Bible. Now, we don't battle as much over it now as we did then. But we used to, we battle over the Bible. You know, is, is the Bible, you know, authentic? Is the Bible inspired? Is the Bible accurate? Is the Bible reliable? Is the Bible error-free? Is the Bible truth without any mixture of error? This was one of the key passages that was used in the battle for the Bible back in the 70s and the 80s. This is one that they used. Look at verse 20. Above all, above everything you just heard, okay, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. That word interpretation is the key to understanding that phrase. The word interpretation means to loose or to unloose. It'd be like me untying my shoe. What he's saying is that, that Scripture didn't come from the unloosing of someone's mind when he created it on his own. It was not something he did. It wasn't something that they did. They did not unloose the things you find in the Bible from their own minds. In other words, they did not concoct this stuff. They did not make it up. That's what people do today. You know that, don't you? People just make up stuff. You know, they make up their own religion. They make up religion to make people feel good. Uh, we're going to talk about this next week when we get into false teachers and false teaching. You know, they, they have their own interpretation of, uh, uh, of Scripture. They concoct it from their own brains Peter says the writers of the Bible did not produce anything that came out of their own minds. They didn't do it. Then in verse 21, he reveals the process. He said, for prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. He reveals the process. He says, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This word is used in classical Greek of a ship. 
that's sitting there without any sails. But the minute they put the sails up, it is carried by the wind. The ship does not move without the wind. It's the same way. He's talking about the Holy Spirit moved these people to write. The Holy Spirit empowered these people to write. That's why it's a spiritual book. It's not written by men. God may have used men to write it, but they didn't invent it. They didn't concoct it out of their own imagination. They wrote because they were set aside by God to write. And the Holy Spirit moved them so that what they wrote is exactly what God wants in the Bible. That's the way it was. Spiritual inspiration. But listen, not only do we have spiritual inspiration... We have spiritual illumination. And you hear me on this, my dear friends. God will never contradict what he wrote. He will not illuminate some spiritual truth in your mind that is not backed up in Scripture. So we have spiritual inspiration, but we all have also have spiritual illumination. In other words, God's going to give you the ability under the leadership of the Holy Spirit to understand God's Word. Look at what he says in verse 19. Again, go back and look at it. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain. In other words, we have God's word. It's better. He says, and you would do well to pay attention to it. You're going to do well to follow the teaching of this word. As to a light shining in a dark place. He goes, it's going to light your path. It's going to illuminate the way you're supposed to live your life. He says, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. That's a difficult phrase, that last one. This day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. It's a difficult word, difficult phrase, and you can, there's paragraphs and paragraphs and paragraphs written on it. I'm just going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it, okay? So you're going to, here's what he's saying. He's saying that God's Word, if you would take it and you would pay attention to it, it's going to give you light in the dark place, it's going to tell you how to live your life. It will sustain you until the day Jesus comes in all His glory and you experience His transformation in your life. He says, if you would just do well to listen to this God's word, it's perfectly going to lead you right to the time when Jesus calls you home. That's what he's saying. That's when the day star will be experienced in your life. When the morning star rises in your hearts, the glory of God will be manifested in you. Listen, God has given you the Bible so that you can live for him. It's practical. It's historical, and it's spiritual. It addresses the dark needs of your heart. It will illuminate His truth to you. It will point out the sin problem in your life. It will point out your failures, your shortcomings, and where you mess up. If you read it, it will point it out. Really what happens, we always get in people said. Well, I'm going to interpret Scripture. No, no, no. Let Scripture interpret you. Look at the Word of God. Said, how is the Word of God transforming my life? How can I take this truth that is obviously in the Word of God and apply it to my life so that I can start living the way that God would have me to live? Ultimately, the Bible tells us about Jesus and tells us how to live for Him. In a moment, we're going to have a time of invitation, of time for you to respond. And I don't think, 
maybe there's some of you that maybe you want to come forward and, and you want to talk and you want to pray. You know, I don't know if my sermon has really been conducive to that. I mean, I don't think you need to come forward and say, Pastor, I just want, to, want you to pray that I'll study my Bible more. I said, just pr- study your Bible more, okay? You don't need to pray about that, okay? It's kind of like asking, well, Pastor, I need to pray that I love my neighbors. No, just love your neighbor. You see, sometimes we use prayer as an, as an excuse to get out of what we don't want to do. I said, if you're committed today saying, you know, I need to be studying God's Word, we got Sunday school classes here to help you do that. Uh, uh, we, got, we, we got a preacher that I think he preaches from the Word. You know, I, I may be wrong, but, you know, we can do that. We got classes on Tuesday night. We got classes on Sunday night. We can find your Bible study. But it also means you need to get into it daily at home. Spend 5, 10, 15 minutes in God's Word and read it. So the invitation, maybe you say, you know, maybe I said, I need to be a part of a church. I want to be a part of a church that teaches and preaches and get this, actually believes it. There's a lot of churches that teach and preach, but they don't actually believe it. We actually believe it. I actually, I actually believe when it says, go and make disciples. Oh, I guess we ought to go and make disciples. I actually believe when it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, I guess we ought to love our neighbors ourselves. We don't have to form a committee to do that. Yeah, this is, this is not rocket science. It's not brain surgery. It's not that complicated. God said it. He must have meant it. So that means we're supposed to do it. Jump to your feet. Well, you don't have to jump. Stand to your feet. Praise Him's going to come and lead us in a song. It's a, t- it's a song for us to draw closer to Him. Maybe God is speaking to your heart. But it's also an opportunity for us to worship and go out on a worship note. I'm going to lead us in prayer and ask you to join with me. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you for this opportunity you've given to us to gather here, to worship, to sing your praises. Father, to give our offering, to offer up our prayers. Father, to hear, hear your word proclaimed. Now, Father, all that's really left for us to do, Father, is go and live out the truth that we've heard. You know, Father, we talk a lot here at Western Heights, Father, we're here to exalt Christ and to equip the church. But, Father, if we don't engage the community, Father, we're following short. It all works together, God. So, Father, we pray that we will exalt you. We pray, Father, you will equip us so that we can go out and engage the community that desperately needs the truth we say we believe. Speak to our hearts during this time. Touch our lives. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.